Amen. Please be seated. Welcome Rick up to the lectern. Thank you, choir. That was, uh, that was great. I was just getting into that. I could have just like, you know, for a while, huh? Amen. Well, you get me today. About three or four times a year, I get this opportunity. I love the opportunity to uh, share God's Word. I have to tell you, though, it's uh, very hard to pick a topic. You know, Joe, when you go systematically through books, you know what you're going to get next week. But when you only get three or four times a year, it's like, man, what should I, what should I preach on, you know? And so uh, today, something I've been thinking about a little bit um, you know, last year I turned 60, and uh, you know, I don't mind turning 60, but there's a lot of things I don't like about turning 60, you know. I can't do as many push-ups as I used to be able to do, right? Even my kids now, they can do more than me. Well, Reagan and I had contests, and she, uh, she beat me, but I'm challenging her again to uh, a push-up contest here. But my physical body is changing, you know, and uh, I, I go to the gym, and when I go to the gym, I have to work harder, and I can't lift as much, and I come home, and I'm sore, longer, you know, and it's like the body is aging, and, uh, you know, today in the Apostles' Creed, we read, and hopefully you paid attention to it, uh, we talked about, I believe, you know, that in Christ ascending, but if you recall on the last, uh, the last page, what did it say? It says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And uh, today, that's what we're going to talk about, the resurrection of the body. It's a great hope. It is a great truth that I think is not taught. We don't even think about it very much about our bodies one day. We don't think about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ as much as we used to, maybe. We haven't thought about it at all. Well, hopefully today, after we dig in here, you'll, you and I will think about it more. So the title of my sermon is The Resurrection of the Body, and it's going to come from two texts. I'm going to first read from Philippians chapter 3, and then we're going to jump to Romans chapter 8. By the way, because this is a topical study, we're going to be jumping all over the place. We've got lots of verses, lots of verses All right, hear God's word. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know that the whole create... I think that would jump to a different verse. I'm going to read it from here. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The next one we're getting Romans, which is up here now. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, As we wait for adoption as sons, eagerly await for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. 
May God add the the blessing to the hearing of his word. Please join me in prayer now. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts today by your Holy Spirit. Lord, the words that uh, you have given to me, that you would now, by your Spirit, Lord, impress them upon their hearts. Lord, that you would encourage us today with the hope that we have in Christ and in one day when you consummate your kingdom. I thank you now and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Apostles' Creed was put together early in the church, the history of the church, and they put down what they thought were the most fundamental truths, okay? That's why it says, I believe this, I believe, 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 believe. It goes through very specific things, and I would encourage you, if you haven't read it, to read it continually and say, do you believe in those things? Because that really is biblical, right? We, we say in our church, we're a church of the Bible. We believe the Bible, but we also go by the creeds and the confessions, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Those are good documents. So one of the fundamental truths that the early church chose to wrote, write down was this idea, I believe in the resurrection of the body. So I asked you today, and I had to ask myself, how often do you think about the resurrection of your body one day? How often? You know, if you think about it, though, as a culture, we are very much preoccupied with our bodies, are we not? Uh, From the youngest of you who measure your worth on how good you look in comparison on Instagram, to the oldest of us that are trying to prevent the inevitable, we care about our bodies, right? Interestingly, the U.S. is the uh, largest spender on cosmetics, 90 billion a year, 16.5 billion a year spent on plastic surgery, 8.2 billion are spent on gym memberships. And there's an interesting fact, I found out 397 million of that are unused. (laughs) You know, you sign up for the gym, you go for the first couple weeks, you get a year membership and by uh, month two you're done, you know. And 30 billion is spent on dietary supplements and vitamins. We are preoccupied with our bodies in this country. Well, today, I hope that we'll think a little bit, not of just these physical bodies here, but the future new and improved bodies that we are going to get one day in heaven, right? There's a lot of confusion about heaven. There's a lot of confusion about what it'll be like, uh, who we will be, right? And... um, because the Bible doesn't answer all the questions about it. There, there's some mystery to it. And today I'm not going to answer everything, okay? But there's enough verses in there we can gather some things, right? But there's a lot of confusion. You know, how many times have you seen on Facebook when someone passes away, it says, and uh, Johnny got, got his angel wings and flew to heaven, right? It's this idea of like people are just going to go to heaven, gain angel wings, in any other way. You know, R.C. Sproul used to say, people believe, you know, that uh, salvation by death versus, you know, salvation by faith. But we know that's not true because that's not in the word. Pew Research Center recently did a, a study about the afterlife and they asked uh, some questions. Interestingly, 73% of Americans believe in heaven. 43% believe they can become angels, 
right? You're going to become angels one day. You'll probably like some. You might like this. Uh, 48% believe they will be reunited with their pets when they get to heaven. That sounds like a good idea, except my uh, Maltese Abby, I don't know if she'll get there. She pees on the carpet all the time. (laughs) So she'll have to pass some kind of bar to get there, right? Here's an interesting one. 58% of Christians believe that many religions lead to eternal life. 58% of Christians said that. What's the Bible say? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's only one way. The way is through Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of confusion, right? We don't understand it all. And so we need to go to God's word. All right, let's get to the passage in Philippians uh, today to discuss this. First, let me give you a little context. You always just don't want to jump into a passage. So Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, first established church on European soil. For you that were in my Sunday school class on Acts, you remember the uh, first convert was who? Lydia, woman. First convert on European soil was a woman, Lydia, that we know of that's written in the book of Acts. And then there was the demon-possessed girl that Paul delivered. She was probably a member. And then finally the jailer and his family. So there was a church built there. And Paul later on, as his churches grow, writes him a letter, an epistle of encouragement, and it's a friendship letter. But prior to the verses we just read, that were on the screen, chapter 3, Paul challenges the Philippians to follow his example. And his example in chapter 3 is to know Christ. He says things like, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. He says in there that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He talks about pressing on toward the mark, the goal of the prize in Christ Jesus. Then in verses 17 through 19, right before the verse we read, he tells them to avoid the pitfalls of materialism, which lead to destruction. Apparently, there were, there were uh, members of the congregation of Philippi that once served in the churches, and then they were gone. And he said they have left the faith. They have gone after worldly possessions, after materialism, after wealth. Their minds weren't set on heavenly things, but on earthly things. We see this throughout Scripture, right? This admonishment. Paul provides a similar warning to Timothy in his letter when he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, right? Jesus talks about money and about this desire for wealth, can pull us away in his parable of the sowers. One of the grounds is the thorny soil. And he says, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, the word of God and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. So I think you get the picture. Paul is telling these Philippian believers, be careful the weight of the world, the worldly possessions, materialism, all these things will try to pull you away from your faith. You need to look upward to heaven. You need to look upward to your Savior. Because you know why? He uses that language, you are citizens of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. I remember being stationed in Germany, right? You're over in a foreign land, but I was a citizen of America. And I looked, you know, I enjoyed it over there. It was great, but 
I wanted to get back to America because that's where my citizenship was. And there was many more things here I was comfortable with. Paul's trying to tell them, he's like, we are citizens of heaven. Folks, not only is gravity pulling us down the earth, but desire for riches tend to do that too. All right, so what do we do? Paul says that as citizens of heaven, our greatest hope is in the return of Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Our bodies, I want you to listen to that, will be like Jesus' body. He uses the same Greek word for body right there where he says our bodies, our lowly bodies will be like Jesus' body. Think hard about that, right? The Apostle John agrees with that and says something similar in 1 John 3. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Do you look forward to that day to see Him? Look forward to see Him as He is, and we will be like Him. Okay, that is encouraging. Now, let me jump a little bit to Romans. Like I said, I'm going to be over all over the map on some scripture here. But Romans, a passage in Romans 8. Let me read it again. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Here, here it is. The redemption of of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. Note carefully, Paul does not say redemption from our bodies, but redemption of our bodies. The difference is enormous and crucial for Christian theology. Many religions and philosophers have tried to separate, right, the soul and the body. Because why? They look at the body as bad, right? They just think the body's returned to the earth and that the eternal soul just lives on. But as Christians, the Bible teaches that we believe that our soul and our resurrected body one day will be united. Okay? By the way, and this is why as Christians, we should be very concerned about definitions. Male, female. Boy, girl. Christ created us in his image. God created us in his image, right? Male and female. And when we get new bodies, it's going to be male and female. We're going to, Jesus is up on the throne, right? But he's got a body. Now don't, it's hard to grasp, you know, what, but he's there and he's got, a, he's fully man, fully God. We're not going to be that, but he has a body Paul says we're going to have bodies like him someday. What did Paul mean, though, when he said eagerly waiting adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies? I thought we were already adopted. Well, we are. Earlier in Romans 8.15, he says, We have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And in Galatians, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So the question is, did we receive adoption or are we waiting for it? 
The answer is yes and yes, both. See, as believers, we have been adopted into the family of God, but we are not at our final adopted home. What did Jesus say to disciples and John when he's getting ready to leave? I go to prepare a place for you so I can come. One day we're going to live with him in his place, okay? In our final home, right? Let me illustrate. If you were adopting a child, right? Say you were going to a foreign country to adopt a child. You would go to that country. You would go with the particular agency. You would pick a child, right? Well, there's going to be a lot of legal paperwork has to be done. You just can't take the child. So you might have to come back to the U.S. and wait a while for all that to happen. But so you get the call that says you've been approved. You can adopt the child, right? So that child on that day is adopted. But really, they're not going to feel adopted what? Till they're home with you, in their room, with their, with their, not with orphanage clothes on, but clothes given by the parents, all right? My friend, when we were adopted, we received the Holy Spirit as a pledge until that final day. That's why God's given us the Spirit. We, it says, Paul says, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have that as a pledge until one day when we are with him forever. You see, the final stage of the adoption process is called glorification by theologians. Theologians like to use big words, glorification. Glorification is the final benefit of our redemption in the, we call the order of salvation. There's an order. We'll see it later in Romans 8. Uh, a lot of you, Romans 8 is a great chapter. I, if I was stuck on an island and I could only read one chapter in the Bible, I would, Romans 8. There is, it is so rich, so full. But some of you have heard it. They call it the golden chain of salvation, right? Let me read the verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, God will immediately glorify all believers in the resurrection on the last day, conforming them perfectly to the image of his risen and glorified son. But you know what? We're not there yet. And we're groaning. All of us are groaning. Everything is groaning. Waiting for that day. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. The, all of creation is groaning for that day, the final consummation. Well, you might say to me, well, Rick, I'm not really groaning. I don't really think about it much. Um, well, I beg to differ. I think you are groaning. If, you, if you're a believer and the Spirit of God is in you, the Spirit is groaning, and you groan, you just may not always recognize we groan every time we struggle with sin and temptation. Every time we fall, right? The Spirit groans within us. We grieve the Spirit. We groan when we see injustice and corruption and, and lying and perversion being passed on as truth. We groan. We groan when we see loved ones make bad decisions and walk away from the Lord. We groan when we see a child born with a defect or disability. We groan when we struggle with chronic pain 
that the doctors can't seem to fix. We groan when a young child dies prematurely. We groan when we watch our loved ones age and change and slowly deteriorate that we don't even recognize them. We groan when a loved one's body is riddled with cancer. Fourteen and a half years ago, right before I was diagnosed with cancer, my mom was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer and uh, came on fast. And uh, I got a call from my brother, said, you need to come home, see mom. I don't know how much time she has. And so this was right after I had my surgery, had my lung removed, and uh, I think I had already started a round of chemo. But anyways, we drove up to Pittsburgh from uh, Illinois, and we checked into the Holiday Inn, and my brother brought my mother, and she was yellow as a banana. And I was like, just tore me up. You know, that's not my mother. That's not my mother. Why do we groan? All creation groans. Because it wasn't supposed to be like that. It's because of sin that came into the world, that disease and death, destruction came into our world, pain and sorrow. But you know what? That is not the end of the story. That is not the end of the story. There is hope, and we eagerly wait and look forward to that day. We cry out with Paul, as he did in Romans 8, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. We have a lot to look forward to. All right, kind of hard to make this transition, but now I want to get into some fun stuff. I want us to look at what's the Bible have to say about our bodies? There's some things in there, how it's going to be. A hope, to have a hope. I mean, what are they going to look like? Well, Paul was clear. He says he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. All right, like Jesus Well, I can learn a little bit about Jesus by going in the New Testament and the Gospels, right? There are a few chapters written after his resurrection that he cited. Let's let's go there and look. So first, I go to Luke chapter 24. And some of you are familiar with the story of the two guys on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. And they're just chatting with Jesus. It's a funny story. They're just... They're like saying, telling them everything about the resurrection or about the uh, death of, of Christ. And, and they don't realize it's Jesus walking with them. But anyways, they get to the town and in the house. And it says, and I'm reading verse 30. This is, so he, Jesus, went in to stay with them. When he was at a table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. All right, what can we learn from that? Well, I think, number one, he ate physical food. I think we're going to eat in heaven. I mean, I can't guarantee that, but I think, I think there's going to be some pretty good food in heaven. There's a marriage feast of the lamb. I don't know what that, you know. 
he wasn't a ghost, right? They were able to eat with him. They were back and forth. We just had Sunday school about the cedar. You know, she gave him some bread, right? I like, he vanished from their sight. Now that's kind of interesting. Well, let's look at some other examples. So you go further down in Luke, and I, I, I would encourage you to read uh, after the resurrection. There's only a few ver- uh, chapters. You can learn a lot. Verse 36. It says, as they were talking about these, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. He's eating broiled fish, right? He's saying, now they were startled, so he was different. The Jesus that was on the cross in terms of the way he looked physically and the Jesus post-resurrection were different. That's why they didn't recognize him a lot. We're going to be different. We're going to have a new body, new and improved, right? Different. He had flesh and bones, hands and feet, but it was different because they still were a little frightened by his appearance. All right. John has an account. If we go to John chapter 20, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Well, what do you see there? Doors are locked. John's kind of mentioning that the doors being locked seems to imply that Jesus was not impeded by material walls. Now, that'd be cool if we were like that in heaven, right? Remember, oh, you remember Star, Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty? We'd be able to go maybe from one place to another? Hey, Heaven, we don't know. But it's going to be different, right? How about Jesus' encounter with Thomas? You're all familiar with that, right? He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hand and put out your hand and place it in my side. The point, folks, is that Jesus had a physical body that was recognizable, but it was different. And by the way, Luke says in Acts, on the, which we're calling Ascension, you know, day, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's going to come back, physical body. I want to read a, uh, <coughs> another important passage. Paul, if you want to really uh, do a lot of study on this whole topic, read 1 Corinthians 15. But 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 35, there's a question raised. Paul said, someone says, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? Duh, that's the question we're asking today. What kind of body? Well, Paul gives a lot of uh, background, but I want to focus in on four uh, particular verses, 42 through 44. Listen to this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual 
body. Now let's notice some key words Paul uses there in regard to this new resurrected body. First, he says it's imperishable. No corruption. Unable, the word in the Greek means unable to experience any deterioration. Lacking the very capacity to decay or constitutionally break down. Our new bodies are not going to get old. They're not going to get tired. They're not going to decay. Right? They're going to be imperishable. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Thomas Aquinas, a great theologian who studied this a lot, and he wrote quite a bit on it. He calls this characteristic impassibility. In other words, the glorified body will no longer be able to suffer physical death or sickness. All right? What's the second word? Glory. Same word that's used a lot of times to describe God and Jesus and heaven. Glory. It's heavy. Weightedness. The glorified body will be free from any deformity and be filled with beauty and radiance. As we see read, Matthew 13, 43, listen to this. Jesus says, it's the just, and he's talking about the end times. The just shall shine as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Shine. We're going to shine. Power, power. Same word as when Acts chapter 1, verses 8. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. We're going to be raised in power and strength. Right? I think I'll be able to do a lot more push-ups in heaven. I'll be able to run pretty fast too. I won't be inhibited. I don't think we'll be inhibited like we are now, you know? Everything's going to be jumbo size. It's going to be... It's going to be good. It's something, folks, we can look forward to. Fourth point, he says there was be spiritual. It will be a spiritual body. So there is that. But it's not saying you're going to be a spirit. I, don't ask me to explain all that, what that means, spiritual body. But it, it's going to be more than the bodies we have now. Uh, will we recognize loved ones in heaven? Well, if you... Jonathan Edwards thinks we will. R.C. Sproul does, so I guess I'm going to have to say I think we will. If you got those two great theologians saying it, you know. I think we will. I think we will. How about this one? What age do you think we will be? Huh? I'm thinking Thomas Aquinas, who's, he, he says around 30. It's like the age of Jesus and the disciples, you know, when, when he was... And I think about that. So I like 30. 30 sounds, I, I remember 30. I was pretty rocking at 30, man, running. And I had high energy. Anybody in here 30? You better, uh, uh. Oh, Jeff, what do you think? Maybe your age. You better, I don't know, 60 like me. I, I, want more, I, want, I want a lot younger than that. Listen to this, this uh, quote from uh, Murray Harris from a book called Raised Immortal. And I'm almost done here. Paul is saying then that in the place of an earthly body that is always characterized by physical decay and dignity and weakness, the resurrected believer will have a heavenly body that is incapable of deterioration, beautiful in form and appearance and with limitless energy and perfect health. Once he experiences a resurrection transformation, man will know perennial rejuvenation since he will have a perfect vehicle for God's deathless spirit a body that is invariably responsive 
I like this, to his transformed personality. Wow. All right, we got a little time, but when will this happen? There's a lot of confusion. Like, everybody thinks, well, when you die, right? Right now, if you're a believer, you die. Your spirit goes to be with the Lord. Your body is wherever your body is, right? The body will be reunited on that day. Paul says it. Let me read first Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who died, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I end with two quotes. God will conform our resurrected bodies to Christ's glory in such a way that we will be unimaginably like Him and yet at the same time fully ourselves at last made whole. And then I leave you with 1 Corinthians 2.9 No eye has seen nor ear has heard and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Brothers, sisters, do you believe in the resurrection of the body? I hope so. Be encouraged and eagerly anticipate that day. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this great promise that you've given us One day Christ, our Savior, will come back to receive His people, to receive His children. And then one day you will make all things new. And then one day you will change us, give us new bodies that will be like Jesus. I pray that you would encourage those out there, Lord, that that heard this. Let it always be a source of inspiration and courage and strength for us. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, as you have given as the Holy Spirit as our deposit, would help us to continue to walk the walk until such day. Continue to give us strength each day, Lord, until that day. And we thank you and ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.